0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another fantastic episode of Talking At Your Arts. I'm Sam Foster.
1: I'm Hayden Jones and today we have uh, a couple of other amazing guests on the show. Um, Very exciting, the episode uh, is looking at the role of comedy and the, the art of comedy and performance and the role it plays in our human anthropology. And we're talking with none other than Darren Gilshan and, and Dave Eastgate. That's right. Who are they, Sam? Um, well, I'm glad
0: you asked, Hayden. Uh, they're, uh, not only are they a couple of mates of ours, but they are a couple of um, legends in their own field. Um, and although they know each other and they do cross over um, In a certain way, they they come from different backgrounds as well. Darren Mm. comes from a more traditional theatre background. He studied at NIDA and then got into theatre acting and then transitioned from theatre to film and television and is, I guess, more of a comic actor as opposed to Dave. Who's uh,
1: basically a court jester. Yeah, and a
0: professional, one of the country's leading and and most well-known and renowned uh, stand-up comedians, um, but also does... Stuff on film and TV as well, so
1: yeah. And these guys have both ended up in uh, with with pretty extensive experience in the sketch comedy world. Actually, um, they met on a uh, the Moody's, a Jungle Brothers uh, production, which Darren obviously then went on to do shows like No Activity, um, and they worked together on the uh, Elegant Gentleman's Guide for Knife Fighting, which was a sketch comedy show that I that I obviously loved. I know we both mm-hmm. loved it and quote it frequently. Um, so two really brilliant comedy minds. Great to go into you know the sort of depth of process and craft that they put into it.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting because we kind of dug really deeply into the the role of comedy, um, not just in the context of performance, but in life and in society. Like, why do we need comedy, and and where does comedy come from? What makes something funny, and what makes it not funny? Um, and, and sort of how that applies to their two worlds of stand-up comedy and, uh, you know, theatre and, and film comedy acting. And, um, yeah, so I guess it doesn't require you to have any knowledge of, of either of those fields. Um,
1: yeah, no, and it's, it's quite a straight chat. I mean, it's, it's very serious stupidity, uh, you know, and, and they put a lot of time into that. Um, yeah. And it was great to have two of the, I would say, the best comedy minds in the country mm. – um, Talking and we didn't have to do a whole lot. Just sit yeah. sit back and, and and give them a yeah. give them a prod every now and then, and off they went. Yeah, and it, it's
0: quite it gets quite philosophical at times too. And um, you know, I think it's it's an interesting question that it raises. Is the kind of you get a bit of an insight into why they do what they do, as mm. why they've chosen comedy as a medium that, that that they believe in and that they think is um meaningful.
1: Yeah, very deep thinkers and 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 good lads. Um, If this is your first episode, then you've landed on a really good one, Um, we scored with these two guests, but all of our episodes are fantastic in their own way, we only talk to the best, so go back uh, and check out some of the past eps please, and if you like them, share the word, leave a review. Tell your mates, you know, we, we why we, wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't you do why that? Why wouldn't you? It's free, um, you know, and podcast is a, it's a competitive space, but we think, uh, we're, you know, we think uh, we're having conversations that are worth being heard. Um, you can support the podcast through our Patreon page if you if you want to throw in the uh, price of a cup of coffee in there. It allows us to continue to produce this. We basically produce this on on no money on no funding. Um, just um, I guess in in uh, you know, to advocate for art and and interesting thought and Mm. um, general awareness of creativity.
0: Yeah, and we're we're constantly thinking about who next to talk to and where we can, um, you know, keep digging digging into the art of various things and um, that was the kind of premise of the whole podcast and actually this episode is going to be our first episode of 2022. Even Mm. though we ironically uh, recorded it at the end of 2021, um, so this is kicking off the new year. This it's is good
1: because there's not not a lot to laugh about at the moment uh, in the wor- in the current <laughs> state of things. So that is y- true. You're welcome.
0: Yeah, that is true. So uh, a little bit of um, a little bit of a lighter episode to um, hopefully brighten your day and, and um, yeah, give you a bit of an insight into a couple of great thinkers and uh, great perform- performers in their own right. So um,
1: without further ado, Dave Eastgate, Darren Gilshenan.
0: All right, well, uh, thank you, Darren and Dave, for joining us on Talking Out Your Arts. It uh, is a very uh, huge honour to have you both with us, and thanks for your time and coming to um, chat with us today. Um, I guess probably a good place to start is to, I don't know who wants to go first, but tell us a little bit about your uh, background. Darren, do you oh. want to go first? And, All right, sandwich. And, uh, and, and maybe, uh, yeah, who you are, what you do, and uh, for those who don't know you, and then uh, we can go from there. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, Sam. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, I'm Darren Gilshinen. and uh, I'm an actor,
2: a writer. Uh, I direct as well, and... Um, I guess I've been an actor for 35 years, uh, trained down in Sydney at NIDA back in the 80s, and have since then I've done lots of theatre. I initially spent 20-odd years in the theatre and then started moving into television, and I've been doing a lot of TV the last 10, 15 years, and film. Uh, and uh, I also teach. I teach the art of comedy acting, so that's um, my kind of part-time job between acting jobs.
0: Mm. Uh, and uh, Dave Eastgate... Thanks for joining us as well, special uh, special double guest episode. Yeah. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about how would you describe yourself um,
3: and what you do. Yeah, I'm a comedian, comedian, uh, comedic actor, um, writer, a stand-up comedian. Um, I do uh, musical comedy um, in my stand-up act. I play guitar and sing. Funny, hilarious ditties. Uh, <laughs>
0: that's
3: what we call them in the biz. it's it, a showbiz term. It's a showbiz term. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've been doing stand-up for 24 years um, and um, been performing professionally. I'm untrained. Um, I started... Uh, working in theme parks when I was 16 in 1995, doing stunts and also doing um, uh, improvised comedy on the street atmosphere performance, they call it.
0: My so, father yeah. will be flipping out. The fact oh, that you yeah, yeah. yeah well, no, I was. See, just, that was an you know, issue. <laughs> we just forgot that. <laughs> I, that I my did forget Dr. the fact. Dr. That Mike you're Foster <laughs> is just flipping d- out
1: there. <laughs> because because uh dave you went to university the same university as as me and and sam's dad taught that course. what can you- elaborate what you mean by untrained
3: well the course wasn't an acting course yes nice. it was a theater course mm. and um your father was my teacher um but yes it was a course that didn't Focused necessarily on acting, and and it focused on on creating theater, mm. and um, that was the that was the emphasis. And um, I've often told this story that your father um, was very instrumental in my career um, when he told me that my attendance um, in his classes uh, was wasting. Both his and my time
1: oh, I and, had that same conversation, yeah, that.
3: and that I should go off on my own and just do it.
1: so you were who who he was talking about when he sat me down one day I came in <laughs> I came in drunk and late to a Neil Cameron lecture, and he said, "You know mate, you're not the first Robinson Crusoe to come through this place." And I thought, <laughs> who was the first? It must have been ascape." <laughs> <Davis-K. laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I went through with a few Robinson Crusoe's. Um, mm. um, yeah. 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 So and, so, uh,
1: so. Um, I was going to say, um, well, obviously we have a long history going back with Dave, but you two, and part of the reason why I guess we invited you both on together is you guys know each other. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, you two met in the industry? Where was that first uh, first encounter between you?
2: Oh, it was the Moody's, wasn't mm-hmm. it, Dave? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, the Moody Christmas, and then mm, the Moody's, which followed. We um, we yeah. kind of worked with a bunch of f- fabulous actors and Trent O'Donnell, great director, putting all that together. A show that was <clears throat> kind of had a heavy in, uh, improvised kind of idea behind it all, written by Phil Lloyd and uh, Trent. Um, <laughs> we had some good times on that. Dave was very easy to send up. He would uh, yeah, I- like. <laughs> You know, in the middle of a scene, he just loses his shit all the time. <laughs> uh, he always had such a. Um, I think he. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but you you, you were like a kid in a fucking candy shop on that show. You were just looking around, going, "How fun is this? All these funny people and all this yeah. fun stuff going on." And was he,
0: that was that one of your first kind of bigger breakthrough? Yeah, roles absolutely. for TV yeah. and. Tried, uh, I,
3: yeah. I, 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 I credit Trent with with um, yeah breaking me. He I. Auditioned for him for a commercial. I think it was a it was a Snickers commercial or something. But and then I did a we did a commercial together for Foxtel that never went to air. We shot the commercial and then someone at Foxtel went, "Oh, that's actually not the the offer that we're offering, and this is not who approved this commercial." Anyway, from that he invited me on to a, a, a to do a guest spot on. Review with Miles Barlow Mm -hmm. and then in between that he told me his idea for Moody Christmas and we discussed shooting a pilot for a TV show called Elegant Gentleman's Guide to Knife Fighting which Darren and I both worked on and so in between Review and A Moody Christmas we shot the pilot for Elegant Gentleman's Guide to Knife Fighting Mm -hmm. and um, we shot that uh, the Captain Cook sketch, um, the Twitter pigeon sketch and a couple of other ones. Um, with Craig Anderson and a few other people. And, um, and then Moody, uh, we pitched that to the ABC. They rejected it. Then a Moody Christmas happened. And Trey got me in for one episode of that. And Darren was the, the funniest thing about that show. And, um, which, which is, says a lot because it's a fucking hilarious, hilarious show. It's a brilliant yeah. fucking show. I've just recently binge watched it. And it's again, I've just gone through it all. Um, so yeah. And then, So, in between Moody Christmas and the Moody's, we shot Elegant Gentleman's Guide to Knife Fighting.
2: That was a fun idea. So, with that, they had. um, uh, The idea was to revisit long form comedy because, uh, you know. Long form sketch comedy. Long form sketch comedy. Because, you know, in the 80s, uh, I did a show called Full Frontal for a few years and then it became totally full frontal. But there was a a whole host of different sketch shows, you know, Skid House and. Big girls' blouse and there was a bunch of them. And they were getting shorter and shorter with the advent of when the internet, basically, when that mm. came in, and uh, people's attention span seemed to decrease. So, so sketch comedy became very short. And Elegant Gentlemen was like a trip back to the old mm. long-form sketch where you had nine-minute sketches <clears throat> that were broken out into three different mm. kind of parts. Mm. But the way in which they went about putting that together is they put out uh, an email to anyone in the industry. Who had any kind of comic bone and said, anyone can write for this show. So they had about a thousand mm. entries of uh, different people that wrote sketches. And all they said was it had to be original, there could be no parody uh, or impersonation, and it had to be long form. They were the two ideas. So, what did they class as long form? long like just long ideas basically ideas that you could kind of cut into and
0: kind of and return back to yeah 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 yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. so you know for instance there was a very famous sketch in it about prius where patrick bramwell was terrifying (laughs) a bunch of us around the table (laughs) which was based on the sexy beast kind of um you know ben kingsley with Mm. with that mob and that sketch went for nine minutes but it was in three parts uh And then, yeah, so they got about a 1,000 people submitted, just under, and then they chose 88 sketches, uh, and they said to everyone, if your sketch gets on, we'll pay you for your time. And then they took 10 directors... Uh, and I thought it was twelve, wasn't it? Yeah. No, I think oh, it was no, ten oh, okay. directors because they all got like eight sketches each, right. around about that, a couple more, and uh, then there was a core cast of about seven of us. But then mm. those directors could use anyone they wanted, so mm. there must have been probably thirty, forty different performers mm. that were involved in it. So the whole thing was like an experiment, mm. and it just meant that the product was incredibly eclectic. You know, mm. there were ideas from everywhere, and it was <clears throat> it was just refreshing to see. Um, you know, no no bloody parody of, you know, ads on TV or, or you're know, taking off news commentators or doing the Spice Girls, you know, it mm. was just all original stuff. It was really a sketch exciting. show
1: that I found, like, the majority of the sketches were funny to me. And mm. not all sketch shows, that's, that's quite rare and uncommon, which is why I became a big fan of it. Do you think it's because they had that bigger kind of hive mind... Approach that they had obviously had more material to. Yeah, yeah. well, I
2: guess if they sifted through a thousand sketches down to eighty-eight, they had some good ones. There's a lot of
1: pressure on, I guess, a a team of writers to come up with. Well, when I was on Full Frontal,
2: that was, uh, and Dave, of course, did was it Open uh, Open Slather? You know, like I was one of the writers on Full Frontal, and yeah, every week. You know, you've got 20-odd writers in a room just pumping out sketch after sketch and then the head writers c- culling and, you know, moving things forward and everyone's jockeying for their mm. for their minute or two or three on, on air because it's good mm. money. I was a big fan of the Smithston
1: sketch, which <coughs> oh, um, I still laugh about. Yeah, that well, sketch, that
2: pitch, because Damon... Yeah. Um, pitched that initially on paper and uh, they took one look at it and said, we don't get it. And he said, no, 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 no trust me, let me come in and pitch it to you. Yeah. And it was all about the way in which he said the word... It's smith, in the plane of it. it. Yeah, it's and then when he smith. when he did it in the room with the producers, they started laughing and went, ah, oh, okay, now we get it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And
1: it's, it's the anxiety with which he, he plays <clears throat> it. It's, yeah. it's, this dad whose kids in hospital and he's kind of hung up. It reminded me of, there was a great Rowan Atkins sketch called uh, Fatal Beatings. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where the son has a been beaten to death beating, at school yes, by the, the principal, but yeah. what he's, <laughs> <laughs> <such a> good <laughs> what the headmaster's hung up on speaking to the father is is that he was taking the library books, which is why he got the beating. Yeah. Yeah, That's he, the he, issue.
3: He's, he, yeah, he's called the father and he said, now we've had to administer a fatal beating on your son <laughs> for stealing yeah, <laughs> books, books out of the... <laughs> well, I find your,
1: your yeah. lack of...
3: Respect for the library. Very. You know. yes. Your
1: morbid fascination morbid. with your son's death. Yeah, your morbid
3: fascination <laughs> with your son's death. It's very troubling. <laughs> the point is, yeah. the boys were just stealing library books. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Very but it's yeah. So the the, the Smithson sketch is uh, the premise of that is that is that, um, his son has been involved in a fight with a with a child mm. whose last name is Smithson, and it's ended. Fatally, hasn't it? No, he got stabbed in the he eye his with his hands. He pencil. got yeah. stabbed, yeah. He's lost his sight. Or yeah. Or yeah. And, yeah. And so they're going through this thing, but Damon just can't get past the fact that this kid's name is, what, what, Smith, Smith,
1: Smith Smithson, Smithson. doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? Yeah,
3: so it's not Smith and it's not Smithson. or Smithston, Smithston. And Damon has a natural kind Of lisp as well, and, and just oh, it's mm. just a brilliant sketch. It's
0: some yeah. crazy,
2: crazy ideas. And I remember when we when I first read, I did a sketch with you, Dave, uh, OHS porn oh, shoot. Oh,
1: my, God. Which, that's my favorite. Oh, that's the one favorite. that stands out where I saw you two together. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that one gone <laughs> extra spice. That one's gone viral big time. But it, uh, when I first read that script, I was playing the OHS porn officer and I was meant to interrupt a pawn shoot. Um, and show Dave's character how to safely have sex with the woman, um, you know, without kind of hurting your back and doing your knees in and stuff like that. And on the page, I was thinking, so is the idea that I'm actually fucking her and showing him how to fuck her properly? And I was like, I kind of don't find that funny. I think that's a bit brutal. I mean, it's fucking, it's rape pretty much. And then I was like, it was on the day we were shooting, I said... What if he's just like, and, and the image popped into my head was when two hours wank. And they do their little, they you know, like the Labrador's laying on the ground the chihuahua's trying to have a crack and the dog walks away and they're just left there in the air just kind of pol- you know, pulsing. And I said, well, what if he's not actually having sex with her but he's just miming and pretending and she disappears halfway through the sketch and he ends up basically doing a chihuahua wank. Uh, and, and we put a tag on it, which is my wife recently left me and I burst into tears and suddenly yeah. it kind of saved the sketch from being something that was incredibly yeah. misogynistic yes. to being about some broken old fuck who who um who's in a desperate uh, desperately unhappy and i've gotta say i mean, talk about you
3: know me cracking up in the you it, uh, there's one point in that like the whole during the whole sketch i'm desperately de- and same with the press sketch i'm desperately trying not to laugh and um at one point, in when he's doing the Chihuahua <laughs> on the, the girl's gone. And um, you know, I, mean, just, I turn. And I actually turn... You see me turn because I can't look. And I'm just desperately hanging on. That like, was so... And, and also, like, when... It happens in the prayer sketch as well. You see... You, you, when you try not to corpse... It's very easy to like, and you are also trying to be annoyed or whatever. You, you're contorting your face, like mm. I'm, I'm contorting my face because I'm trying to show annoyance that this guy's ruining this. But it's not scene. genuine annoyance, but it's, it's just, not. It's just I'm just contorting my face it, yeah. and just because <laughs> my face is
0: contorting on its own. So you just you no, know what I liked about that is the the actor. What's the actress's name who was in that sketch that with you?
2: Uh Georgina. Georgia Yeah. Um Georgina I'll put you on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stitch Big star now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks oh, to that sketch. Oh but she
0: she did this great <laughs> Georgina thing. Haig. Georgina Haig. When yeah. she excuse me, the way she slid out of like to get yeah. out of that and did this like physical <sighs> slide to, to escape you. From between was, my legs, oh my yeah. yeah, well, that was just all about looking deep into
2: Patrick Bramwell's eyes and seeing how long I could do the chihuahua wank before he laughed. And he's just, he's hes the hardest man in the world to crack up, Betty. right? He's very, very good. We well, have the same kind of relationship in No Activity where we just push each other and go, Are you going to go? Are you going to go? And how dark can we go with this thought before someone pulls out? Uh, metaphorically. I found, I found the
3: blooper reel, the Elegant Gentleman's Guide, and there's, it's, there's, there's this sketch um, where this couple um, sit down with their parents or parents-in-law and um, and they announce that they're having a child. We're pregnant. And Darren plays the father and his reaction is, hang on, so you're telling me that you had sex with my daughter? And then off he goes on this. You mean to say that you, you inserted your penis into the innocent and um, untouched velvet <laughs> gold? Vine, you know, just goes on. And then, um, and then later on, I'm, and we're kind of like, we're shocked. Like, why is he reacting like this? And, and, and I say to him, uh, but, but, you know, it's just like you and your wife when you had my wife when you 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 got are you suggesting that i've had
2: that i've put, put my, my penis, penis into, into my, my wife? wife my flaccid half <laughs> my flaccid <laughs> folded into her cavernous flailing <laughs> flailing about he says no
3: direction just directionless cavernous whole bats are flying out and he just and it's all it's it's all improv there's a there's a Basic script, but Darren just pushed it so, so hard. And you could see him coming up with these things and just his I and Janice McGavin plays my wife in that and we are just the blooper reel is just the locked off shot of our two shot and we are just just hold, barely holding on. But hey, that's a so, key though, isn't so, it, Dave?
2: You know, I think if we're talking about comedy here, you know, With the teaching that I do with other students. I say, I think first and foremost, you should be trying to crack your fellow actor up Mm. from a character's point of view, you know, not from your point of view as the actor, but there should be that tension or that edge between you because if you are genuinely trying to push each other into a place of, um, you know, losing your shit, you can guarantee that's kind of going through to the audience. Mm. Whereas if there's no... If there's no game between you at stake or, you know, real tension kind of uh, with the comedy. then Do you
0: you mean as that it's like there's uh, that that comedy comes, they often talk about it, you know, the truth, the best comedy is based in truth. So playing the truth truth of that of that moment. Um, so is that what you're kind of getting at, is the, the, the further you dig into that, the, the reality or the truth of the character, the funnier it potentially gets? Yeah,
2: I think comedy, um, good comedy, is based solely in dramatic principles, amplified. Yes. And, and that um, good comedy is behavioural. Um, uh, it's duplicit in the fact that the actor is in a comedy, but the character is in a drama amplified. Mm. And you're always looking at what's the dilemma for that character? You know, what's the problem we have here? So, you know, in that I'm pregnant sketch, the problem was I was mortified with the fact that David had had sex with my daughter. And as long as all the the ridiculous comments and everything come from that sense of true um, hurt that my beautiful once innocent daughter has been violated, mm. you know, then therefore that's what the comedy
1: hangs off, like the Rowan
0: Atkinson sketch about the library book. Yeah, keeps oh, going yeah. Back to that. exactly.
1: Oh, yeah, so it's the, right. it's the absurdity of the character's logic.
0: Yes, mm. exactly. yeah, yeah, and it's
2: you know, this you know, it's sort of like making mountains out of molehills over little things and and making massive things throwaways you know it kind of works that way as well but you always need a, a sense of tension as soon as you engage there has to be something there has to be a problem there has to be a dilemma um there has to, a character has to be in a deep hole trying to mm. get how to get the fuck out of there and it's their behavior and they're willing to because comic characters have a desperate desire to win at, mm. at, at any case uh no matter how insurmountable the obstacle is that in front of them They'll they think they can get over it so that's where their behavior starts to get right outside the bounds of what, what might be socially acceptable, you know, um, or taboo into that area, then, then we, you know, then comedy's placed, it's grounded somewhere rather than walking on and thinking I'm funny and I'm going to be funny, you know. I think it's quite the opposite.
0: Do you think the same principles apply to stand-up, Dave? Like, because I'm just, I'm just thinking because obviously you've worked across both, like, on, on screen and on stage as a comic character, you know comic mm. actor but you also do something very different to that which is playing yourself yeah mm. well a, All right. a, version, a of version of yourself yeah, on stage doing stand-up and do those principles that Darren was talking about apply to stand-up do you think
3: yeah I to to a degree I was I was I was, I was thinking about that as you were, as you were speaking Darren because yes they do like but it is it's what the difference is that yes you are yourself and and for me i'm kind of playing a character but mm. I, I, my v- heightened version of myself is is much more heightened than some other comedians who are very much
2: themselves on mm-hmm. stage and, and it depends on the kind of comedy doesn't it like some people just do jokes you know what i mean exactly so that's what that that's what the idea is and some people do crowd work <clears throat> you
3: know they just they just talk to the audience and riff and and work it out from there but um. Yeah, I, I. You know, talking about truth and and struggle and and but you know I always say that comedy is is grounded in pain. There's, mm. there's the, oh, good you know, the pain is comedy, and so I, I can't remember the quote. Maybe you know, but something like you know, a tragedy is when
2: I stub my toe, and comedy is when you stub yours, kind of thing. Mm. You know, yeah, there's a bunch of different sayings, isn't there? Tragedy. A yeah. Comedy is tragedy plus time. Plus time, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Comedy is um, tragedy without dignity. Right. Um, you know, for a comic character. Yeah. I always think that, you know, some horrific thing that's happened to you plus time, you can make a bloody funny story out of it. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the past because you're you're basically relating to the... The the depths of fear and pain and uh, Mm. desperation you were in at the time that happened. Yeah. And like when,
3: and so, you know, for example, when um, with stand up, you know, when someone is doing crowd work, you know, like the other night, um, I did a gig with Mick Nevin, who's also a Griffith Uni alumni and was taught by your dad. Um, And, you know, he does a lot of crowd work. And there was a guy in the audience who was a real estate agent. So Mick was, riffing on the housing market and how this guy's fucked everybody's life and you know how many people have you had evicted because you've fucking you know sold their sold the house that they were renting and you know all this sort of stuff and and this guy's you know everybody else is fucking losing money at the moment so this guy's gonna shout us you know all the drink when he goes out and so the pain there is this guy's fucking yeah Pain, you know, mm-hmm. it,
0: you You, you, ba- and or you have a shared enemy that you, you yeah, the rest he, of the audience onto it, exactly, that one
3: and so guy. and then he becomes and and most of crowd work is that it's 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 you know what do you do and then you know where are you from and oh you know I'm from fucking some shitty suburb and so he hangs shit on the suburb and mm. you know and so yeah. their their pain of being humiliated in front of a an, an, and it's not like it's it's generally fun but it's generally good natured but it's you know, it's everybody laughing at this guy. You know, being humiliated by mm. by the comic on stage, kind of thing. So I yeah, think the, the
2: the difference, and I haven't done stand up. It's the last bastion. I mean, I've done plenty of impro comedy, but um, the difference, the way I see it, is when you wander on stage, the audience is, you know, because every classic comic relationship is a straight man and a funny man and the straight man is the voice of consequences what you should or should not do is kind of social behavior and all the rest of it and your audience in a way is that straight man when you Mm. come out and you're the one that's that's the clown Mm. who's pushing the boundaries of um you know things that you say and do and way you react with the audience whereas when comedy acting you've got another actor on stage who is that mm. and that that character is um, that straight man or straight woman is the is the voice of consequence and the audience only knows how to see the comedy through that straight character mm. so when you are in a you know a, a well-oiled comic machine and the plays going really well it's because basically it's because the people playing the the voice of consequence the unreasonable ones the the ones that are angry and bitter and cold and edgy Um, are doing their job really well so it allows the clown to be you know anarchic you know Mm. because the person says don't you fucking cross that line and that the stronger they are with that idea of course the the afflicted clown then has a real problem because they there's a rule in front of them they want to break it Mm. and and sometimes though when you work with comic actors who aren't as experienced they feel as though they want to get the laugh So they're Mm. the ones that go, oh, I want to do something funny. And then you suddenly find you've got two clowns in this space. Then we're in a crazy asylum. So there always has to be an element, whether it's the situation, whether it's the other actor, um, or even within yourself. Mm. You know, I find comic characters are – to find a good comic character, if you force the contrast between your internal truth Mm. and your external behaviour, for instance – you know, I'm a fireman. Externally, I'm brave, courageous, reliable, um, trustworthy. But internally, I'm a pyromaniac, and I just want to wank every time someone lights a fucking flame in front of me. So when there's a fire in the house, the last thing I want to do is put it out. So the, you know, the more you, kinda, you can create your own consequence within yeah. your own vessel in that yeah. way. And when you create a common you're creating character... Mistakes. Yeah, yeah that's right. You, you just got to create problems like, yeah. for yourself. Mm. I want to yeah. do that, but oh, I shouldn't. Or a fast mm. car salesman who's all trustworthy, but on the inside he's a Fucking gambling alcoholic man about to lose everything and his wife's left him so yeah. his desperation when someone walks away from that car oh yeah mate mate, mate come back so oh, sorry yeah. sorry i offended you there you know let, let's drop the price a bit yeah. you know it's like you've got to find that within self within other characters within situation and then you've got a chance for the comedy to
0: and do you think re- that that can that role can switch because it's often i've often seen it where the straight you know the straight Guy and the clown swap at some point oh, and, and in that tragedy oh, yeah. where they're, they're being really hard-nosed about the rules and the regulations and then they start becoming the clown oh, as completely. it goes on and then the clown gets straighter and straighter and starts yeah. looking mm-hmm. at the... Uh, I I love watching that yeah. dance happen yeah. as well. It's
2: being sensitive to where where the ridiculous idea is. So if it's coming out of someone's mouth, the other person has to go, that is a ridiculous idea. Mm-hmm. And then when I convince that person that my idea maybe isn't ridiculous and they buy it then they might say something that's ridiculous. Then I have to say from the other side, now that's a ridiculous idea. So it's just about being mm. really aware when you work with people mm. a, as to where the lunacy or, or the anarchy so or the to, craziness is. To
0: go is. back to stand-up, are you saying that's much harder in, in or, or it's different in stand-up because you're not... The feedback is that the audience is that they are the other person. They're
2: the other person. So you've got that directly with your audience, mm. whereas in comedy you kind of do it through another actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, like I could... I could, you you know, when I talk about comic premise, you know, I can have an actor on stage say, oh, that box in front of you, very, very important. Don't open it. It's a gift for you. And you'll be really excited when I, when I finally get you to open it. I'll be back in a minute. And then that character leaves the stage. And then I just start looking at the box. And then realize he's Mm -hmm. left and then as i'll reach towards that box guarantee the audience will go and then you can play the audience and then you become playing this idea of anticipation shall i will i will Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so that's when the audience comes into play but the difference being is there's a fourth wall in play in certain comic rule worlds you know so so the actor is hearing that audience and playing off them without deliberately going through what we call the fourth wall which is looking Mm -hmm. at them because you have to stay bound within a situation on a stage or or you know behind a lens. And
1: mm. The enjoyment for the audience in in both instances is watching the character try and fail. But we're rooting for them to continue to try, yeah. right? the kind of the absurdist hero. Well, that's but, the,
2: that, that's the thing, Hayden. I think I think you, the first thing you have to find is empathy. You've got to get the audience mm. to empathize with your dilemma. Mm. If they think if you come into the space and go oh it's you know it's I'm coming finally to meet my pen pal of 50 years her name's Penelope and I think I'm in love with her you know and I'm so excited the more they get you the more they go oh poor guy you know he's really excited then when when Penelope comes in with her boyfriend and kisses him on the lips you know what I mean they see the heartbreak but they've got to empathize with you So the difference with if you place the the comedy in a character who has a problem and get the audience to understand that problem, then they will empathize Mm. with you. If you come on stage and try to be funny, then they tend to kind of go, oh, you're a bit up yourself Mm. if they don't understand because the comedy's got to come off situation in comedy acting. Mm. Whereas Dave, you can speak St- to this, yeah, but I think standoffs are different kinds. Yeah, of it's totally different yeah. how do you manage
1: that in your own? One thing that comes to mind is you, part of your persona is he's a comedian who wants to be a rock star.
3: Yeah, I yeah. get yeah, that, that.
2: That,
1: and that he's not, it. and he failed, yeah. And we watch the fant- We watch the fantasy play out in his mm. head mm. of what his concert would look like, and so on. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I play on that a lot. I also do um, very personal stuff and i i tell there's uh, i because i did i started out with uh music and and i actually when i started doing comedy it was i i didn't want to be a stand-up when when back when i was at uni i was like 18 and i was like i don't want to be a stand-up because i all i wanted to do was be in sketch comedy and I i wanted to be a comic actor you know and so um i wanted to be like Robin Williams and, and go through stand-up to get into acting, which is kind of what I did, but not to that level. But, um, but you did meet Robin. I did meet Robin. Anyway, that's a story for another time. He really enjoyed my work. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, um, it, it evolved. I, I evolved my act. I, initially it was all characters and it was all... And with costumes and and songs and 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 all that sort of stuff, and then I gradually evolved into kind of um i ditched the guitar there for a few years and um and did just kind of stories for my life. I do a lot of stuff about my my dad about growing up in New Guinea about you know so there's there's some deeply personal stuff, but again it comes from you know uh, there's, there's in those, within those stories, there's that, you're looking for that empathy and you're, yeah. getting, and you're broken and broke. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, that vulnerability, the Yeah. Like I, for an example, I'm thinking of like, I'll settle for you. Like, you know, it's a great example right. of like, you know, the you, you just empathize with the pathetic nature of yeah. this guy and how his life is so desperate and and there was but you know, it's real but that's it's so relatable, relatable yeah. you know yeah. you know and it's it's the every every man thing and and that 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 theme of of this you know you'll do you know oh, there's, yeah I'll there's see. a lot of relationships
2: out there that you kind of look at and think yeah all right it's based on a, yeah. it's based on those yes, you could do people like yeah. You
3: know, yeah it's based on it's based on people that i know that have settled Mm. And so, you know, that's why I, and I used to introduce it as this is a love song for the over 30s, you know. And, <laughs> and um, and, uh, and it's, and, it's, and that's how I wrote it. it was this beautiful, you know, love, well, not beautiful, but it's a, it's a, it's an 80s, 80s ballad, 80s yeah. heavy, you know, yeah. heavy metal power ballad about settling for someone and giving up on, on life and how pathetic that's like you say, story. that's the tragedy in it. Yeah. That's I mean, there's the, a line in there, um, um, something about, oh, I can't remember, you know, um, I'll leave you. Oh, no, and just I, I, I'll, I'll be with you forever as long as you don't cheat on me. And then I'll just do what I did last time, which is forgive you
0: and try and move on. <laughs> um, um, uh, but, yeah. It, yeah, it, but it, you, you empathise with that character, you know, yeah. because you, you, <laughs> you sing it from the perspective of, of – a guy you yeah. know and but then and there's like
3: first person but then, then like one of my favorite stand-up jokes is by this guy called chris wayne and he's one of my favorite comics not particularly well known um but has been around for for years and um his his opener is and i hope he doesn't mind me sharing this but this is a great example of because stand-up as well you you do you break you immediately break the fourth wall and by by its very definition, you are getting on and saying to the audience, I'm the funny guy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, and so. Well, that's the expectation. That's they're the expectation, is you are expected the, to be funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's not, it's not a subtle manipulation. It's, it's you speaking directly to the audience. Mm-hmm. And mm. so one of, and, and so this is, I love this, this bit. He walks out and he, and he goes, so, um, I was was at at the bus stop the other day, and uh, and there was this little old lady standing next to me. So I kicked her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did. And the audience is like shocked. He's like, "Yeah, I did. I kicked her, right in the throat." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now I'm a big believer in karma, and I don't know what she did. But <laughs> it, it must have been pretty fucking bad. It's, um, yeah, Because good things don't happen to – bad things don't happen to good people.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's funny, you know, because like, with stand-up, yeah, the expectations, the audience – Are expecting to laugh straight away, you know. The moment someone works on stage, and if you don't get that laugh in the first minute or two, yeah, then the fear sets in, you know. Oh, yeah. Whereas with comic acting, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes of any show is all set up, set up, set up. You know, characters, objectives, wants, needs, all that stuff, and then. When we hit Act Two, suddenly we put the characters in a position where they're having problem achieving their objectives, you know, and the obstacles are coming into play. Then we start to laugh. Mm. It's the last fifteen minutes of a great comedy, well written comedy show that is hilarious. Mm -hmm. But the audience walks out saying, "That was funny from the moment it started. That was the funniest show." They forget they didn't laugh for the first twenty minutes Mm -hmm. of the show.
0: But I was thinking too, as you were talking, Dave, like that in a way, that expectation that you place on yourself and that the audience places on you, that creates tension mm. to go back to your earlier point, Darren, about yeah. like there has to be a, te- a dramatic tension that in stand-up the dramatic tension is. Fucking, Will this person uh, make yeah, me laugh? Be fucking yeah, funny or I want funny. my money back. Yeah. Or, and or they, I'm going to heckle you or do yeah, you. And, or, and, and
3: and they'll sit there with their arms folded and, you know, and, and oh, I'm I, you know, I've had some horrible fucking gigs in, in my time where you, you don't make, I don't know, I, Fuck the other night. What's your, worst,
0: what's your worst? What's your biggest horror story? Um,
3: there's, two, there's two. One is one was in Birmingham um, on my way to Edinburgh. Um, I came out really strong. I got heckled. Um, UK is really hard. Like they they're hard hardened audiences, and when they hear your accent, they immediately get their backs up. Because whereas in America. They hear your accent and they yeah. immediately think you're, you know, it's twice as easy kind right. of thing. So anyway, so in Birmingham and and um, I got heckled straight up, smashed the heckler, and had the audience on side. And I was like, great. And then and I went into my routine, and part of my routine is is um, how I talk about being on tour. Yeah, you know, tour. Oh, it was a it was a Kon-tiki tour. Um yeah and in Australia, I say you know it was to gimpy it was a shit tour, but um or I say you know and, and in England you know it was a it was a, it was to Liverpool or whatever you know it was a shit tour, and they didn't know what a Contiki tour was mm. um they call them coach tours, and I thought they wo- i thought they did because it had worked in london and but just in Birmingham they didn't know this you know, and so but that's okay because sometimes jokes don't land and and you move on. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that didn't work. But I had plenty of other material to do. It was very early on in the set. So I had them and then I lost them and I couldn't get them back. Nothing that I could, nothing that I did. Every trick in the bag, nothing worked. And I had my guitar and I had the songs and, you know, I did my big clothes and they they back announced me. and I, Give it up for your headline of Davey. And it, it just, no, no laughing at all. Just nothing. Just silence. Back announced me, "Give it up for your headline on Dave Eastgate," and then booze from the crowd, oh, and oh, I fucking brutal. burst into tears. Yeah, I, I went backstage, just burst into fucking tears. It was just a horrible fucking. Gig. Worse, for, yeah, yeah. Bro. And the other one was a corporate gig for Best and Less, where <laughs> I was on a harbour cruise, and they um, they go, they've got they've got this buffet table lined up. In front of the dance floor, and I'm like, and then there's big round tables, which is awful for comedy. So, corporates are so hard because nobody's paid to come in, nobody's paid for you. the The boss is pay is paying you a lot of money, but the ta- the the people that are there, um, haven't paid to see you. They're not invested, and they're on these big round tables. Bright, we're on this harbor cruise in the middle of the day. So there's these big windows along the side so all this natural light is coming in. What you want in comedy is you want people sitting in rows in a theater style with stand up. Theater style, you want the room a little bit colder than 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 normal so they're they're a bit, you know they're they're heightened senses. Um and you want them in the dark and you want them facing the front so that they're not Con- they're not self-conscious about laughing at the wrong thing Or they're not looking to- And so when you have these big round tables Of mm. people who know each other There's a lot of opportunities to
0: get distracted
3: Yeah, and also they- There's this rule in corporate comedy And um, it's you. And I guess it's probably a bit outdated But um, the rule is to you, the, the boss's wife You've got to make the boss's wife laugh so if the boss's wife doesn't laugh, and you're, she, you offend her, then there's a ripple effect through the whole room because then the boss doesn't laugh, and then he's and then just everybody doesn't want to piss off the boss, so they don't want to laugh either. So Does then, it
0: work the same way if you get a female boss?
3: Exactly. Yeah, that's why I said it's a bit out of date, but, yeah. that, but the principle is the principle is the same. It could be the boss's best friend. Yeah, you know, yeah it doesn't yeah. matter. But the, or just the boss. Yeah. You know, um, um, yeah, well, I'd say if the boss
0: starts laughing, that's a Good sign. Yeah, the rest of the is, employees, start yeah, going, oh,
3: yeah, and so on these big t- round tables, it's like, and and also with stand up, you want your audience, and I would imagine with theatre as well, you want your audience as close up <clears throat> as possible yeah. because if there's a, sometimes you go to these venues oh, and there's, yeah. there's a massive gap. And we'll move, I'll move tables, I'll move chairs. We up do it all the time, personally, mm, yeah. yeah, because the it's like a moat, yeah, a comedy moat, mm. you know, where we, the
0: jokes just land in the middle of these big. Yeah, when we're on a stage, we'll get to a a school with a massive theatre and they'll have an orchestra pit Mm. and they'll put the students... Yeah, on the other side on the the other, And we're like, can we sit them on the stage with us? Very hard to get a reaction. Yeah, Yeah, but that's an interesting
1: thing, the role of the audience and the dynamic. Like, you think about that Birmingham gig. In Mm. hindsight, was there anything you could have done to save that? Or do you think... Like, I feel like it had something to do with the audience dynamics. Uh, or do you think you, you, once you felt you were in trouble, you, there was a sense of desperation, which I then ch- becomes this weird feedback loop? Uh,
3: yeah, I, I think it was a sense of betrayal from the audience where they st- were laughing and then suddenly I said something that didn't make them laugh. So now I'm a fraud. Mm. And, but in my head, I was going, it's cool. It's cool. Just calm down. You've got this coming up. Stay in the zone. And I was—I I, didn't—I didn't panic. Yeah. Towards the end, I was kind of I didn't necessarily panic, but I was like, "Oh fuck, man, why isn't this working?" Fuck. But then this best and Less gig. What happened with that <laughs> was there was so there's this dance floor, and I'm like, "Where's the stage?" And she goes, "Oh, stage." Because in my rider, it says oh, I have to have a stage and a mic stand and blah blah blah, and this is what I need. Oh, stage! I just thought you meant area. I'm like, area. No, it's a, st- a stage. is a stage, like because you need height as well, which gives you authority. And so, if you're standing on the ground, and you know, it, and so we ended up getting the deck stairs and moving them. On so I'm standing on this fucking staircase, <laughs> portable, you know, movable staircase. And I'm like, where's the microphone stand? She's like, what do you mean microphone stand? I was hmm. like, I'm a guitar act. I need a microphone stand. So I had this guy holding, you know, Employee oh, of the Month, God. Keith, you know, whatever, holding the microphone up oh. to my mouth on this. He's on the ground holding the microphone. And so, you know, so I just looked and I'm they've positioned me in front of the buffet table. So between me and the audience is this buffet table and then they're on these big round fucking tables as well, mm. and so I just had no fucking hope.
1: That's like meta comedy. Like the situation oh, of the comedian is awful. what's funny there. Yeah,
3: and so, um, I, and and I'd asked her if I could swear, and she said yes, and so I, but I wasn't sure. I looked out in the audience, and so one of the tests for that is I go, guys, just so you know, this uh, I hope you don't mind the word fuck. Um. And if you do, then you might want to fuck off. But you can't because we're on a boat, so I guess you're fucked. And that just died in the ass. Nothing, nothing. The boss was really conservative. And so then uh, just nothing worked. And then finally the boss came up and just grabbed the microphone out of some, <laughs> this guy's hand. Because we had to swap. I had to swap people in and out because their arms were getting fucking tired. Oh, <laughs> and so God. he's just come up, he's grabbed the mic and just gone, that's enough. And I'm standing, oh, I'm standing oh, on this oh, oh, staircase shame. And, and I've gone, I've just yelled out, I've got CDs for sale. Wow. <laughs> and, then, and that got the biggest laugh of, of the day. And then the worst part was that I was on a fucking boat. I ended up ordering a fucking water taxi at my own expense oh, and just God. trying to get off oh, the fucking But yeah, anyway, wow. so yeah, they're, they're my two worst gigs but and the reasons are evident yeah
0: Um, i I wanted to ask a question um to either of you or both of you when at what point did you because you know it's not we should make it clear that it's not you've both become known as comic performers in your own right but it's not all you do you know you're both dramatic actors and performers as well and trained that way what at what point like how early on were were you going, oh, I love comedy, like comedy is the thing that I want to do? Was it, Was it? you know, as a kid, were you always kind of thinking, oh, I like the, f- I want to be the funny guy? Or at what point, um, maybe for you, Darren, at, at, at was it during your training at that night, or Did you go? Oh, I'm really feel myself gravitating towards these comic roles, and mm. you know, is there is there a moment yeah, that you stands know, I, out?
2: I or? always used to, you know, play the class clown at school, but I think I used to do. I went to a Christian or, you know, all brothers, uh, all boys Christian Brothers school, and, and I ran scared most of the time from being beaten up because there was no drama or art or anything at my school. It was just football and academia. Both of which I was not very good at, and um, so I used comedy as a bit of an armor, you know, and had a good circle of mates. So it was always something I did um, from a very young age. But I do remember a distinctive time when I was at drama school in at NIDA, and uh, at the end of each term we'd have these things, these big cabaret nights where you could get up and it was called Smash Acts. You could just get up and perform to the school, and we had just done seven weeks of Chekhov work scene work and my partner on the day that we presented our scene work after all this work um was sick when we presented in the classroom so I was the last one to go everyone did this stuff and I just said oh can I just get up and do my scene but I'll play her part as well and they were like okay and I kind of did this kind of piss-take like Robin Williamsque, esque bit like you Dave he was he was very formative for me and you know growing up and Eddie Murphy and Jim Carrey they were the kind mm. of they were the kind of comedians mm-hmm. in the 80s that I really really took after mm. uh, very physical very heightened character based mm. kind of madcap comedians anyway I did this Chekhov scene and made everyone laugh in class uh, basically the you know the premise was you know Treplev wanted Nina Nina wanted to be an actress and he spends most of his time basically trying to trying to bed her and she's just evading him like Pepe Le Pew and and Sylvester you know that's the kind of the relationship and I just heightened that silly idea and took it into some pretty strong physical comedy anyway uh, when uh, the next week we had this corroboree and I just got up and did it at the corroboree and it went down gangbusters. You know, I'd had a week to process what was funny about it, and I pushed it even further. And then um, at the end of NIDA, they have, have this thing called, uh, you know, your agent's audition day, where you present to all the agents of, of Sydney and hopefully win an agent. Now, I'd been on probation for two years, my last, I was the youngest in my year. I was a rat bag, and I was playing small roles, and I, um, I went up to John Clark then, head of NIDA, and said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this really stupid routine for my agent's audition day when everyone else is doing their Lady Macbeths and their biffs from Death of a Salesman, their Hamlets and everything. And he said, look, you know, it's bloody funny. Go for it. See what happens. So I did this. Um, the, the The premise was I ran out. It was the last act before interval. And, I, and some guy started his Hamlet, and I stopped him. I ran on, and I said, look, John Clark's just pissed off out back. Um, do you mind if I do this really stupid thing? I said, I've completely changed my mind. I'm not going to do my this. I'm going to do this instead. And the guy, you know, the other actor got offended and stormed off, and then I just talked to the audience and said, look, here's the premise. It's a bit of check-off. My scene partner was missing. I'm just going to do this scene for you. I did this scene, and um, I remember at one stage of it laying on the floor after you know kicking poor Nina around the stage and grabbing her by the tits and swinging her over my head and doing or eating her and excreting her like it was absurd comedy Mm. and um, the audience was in such hysterics I was laying on the ground coming to life and dying and thinking I had this moment going I could do this forever I could actually just keep doing Mm. this and they're going to just keep laughing (laughs) and I kind of went wow that is an extraordinary feeling and then I finished the routine, and then um, when I came out, I had the choice of six agents, and that was that was the day um, back then, nineteen eighty eight, where I discovered and have always worked from the premise that comedy is about risk. And is about st- and trust backing your, your strengths and playing to your strengths, but ultimately being on the edge, being edgy. You know what I mean? Really surprising people with it. So, so it that takes takes takes, takes a plan. lot of
1: bravery. And like you say, in that situation, you're not you're not rushing yourself. You're just in the moment. But what is that thing about timing? You know, it's like there's this rhythmic thing mm. that you can just almost cue people. To laugh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, I find that really it's a interesting. a synchronicity. Like, yeah. why, why have we evolved to find certain rhythms and deliveries funny? I just and, think it's. And it's, that line between, you know, outraging people and making them laugh. Mm, and, you know, look at mm, someone like Dave Chappelle, it's a very fine line.
2: Mm. I think when you. One thing that I don't think has ever changed since the dawn of time is um, feelings. Like, you know, everything's got, you know, computers and, you know, we don't ride horses anymore. Like everything around us has changed. But inside us, what we are to one another, uh, what I call our humanity, our common humanity, that is my grief, my regrets, my desires, my broken, flawed vulnerability. And comic characters are a hat full of vulnerabilities. You know, they're, they're not people that have worked their shit out. They're the opposite. That's that's the foray of the dramatic character. But... um. I think if you tap into that deep humanity inside yourself and you get an audience who can, you know, once again using that word empathy, they can kind of get you, then audiences love... Although they don't want to know their being, but they love to be manipulated. They like mm. really clear signals. Mm. So they understand when you deliver something with a punch and, oh, it's my time to get in and laugh. And then you shut them down as though you don't need them. And then you push forward with your character's desperation, you know? So, in, in a way, the audience. Matthew Broderick used to say, I spend the first 15 minutes bringing the audience to me and then I spend the rest of the show tapping them away. Once you've got them on side, you don't need them as much, you know. So then you're in control of all the rhythms. But I think comic timing is... Uh, there 's something that happens when you 're watching a brilliant piece of comedy there 's a synchronicity in the air where, as a moment lands as a thought 's being said, as a character you know goes through something, it feels right at that moment and as an audience member you go that 's exactly what should have happened in that moment there 's a mm. wonderful sense of togetherness yes. that happens and I think the journey of the comic performer is to is to get that get that. Relationship with an audience where you do feel as though, of course, he was going to say that, or of yes. course that was going to happen yes. now, because the clarity of the work and the and the feelings are so interconnected that everyone is in the same moment at the same time. You know? It's I, a satisfaction, I, yeah, 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 yeah and very me, satisfying. And which is
3: yeah. it, it, um, very that's the same with stand up mm. and uh, someone. Um, Explained stand up to me which is you're controlling their breathing so you want them to be breathing in on
0: the am I too breathy is that no just keep your face when you turn away oh when I turn turn away
3: you can't hear me okay that's great thanks Joe Rogan (laughs) Um, um, when you are um, when they're breathing in when they're breathing in they breathe in on the setup and they breathe out on the punchline and Mm -hmm. the exhale is the laugh um and you can have them holding their breath but as soon as they it's the view's got to be worth the climb mm. if if they start to exhale because you haven't gotten to a funny bit yet then and your punchline comes after they've exhaled you've fucked it mm. mm-hmm. you know but and so what happens on on that point when you're talking about getting the audience to think with you um there's this Different types of hecklers, but one of the worst fucking hecklers is where you, you're you building that and, and you pause and you want that, because you want that thought, you want, thinking it. you want them to think and know exactly what's yeah. about to come out of yeah. your mouth. Yeah. You want them to say the punchline first in the head, then you say it. And the heckler says it. And then the heckler says it just, just like, like me. <laughs> just exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just right. as you're about to fucking. Yeah. And then they they go oh yeah. and they yell it out. And it just takes the fucking wind oh, completely God out of you. So. Yeah, Kills it's, about it's a game. Attention. It's a
2: game though, because you are playing with that. Yeah. you're playing with that danger of yeah. um, is someone going to fill that silence? Because comedy, that the pause so often is yeah. the setup for the laugh that follows. Totally. Yeah, it was, I was working on an Alan Aikbourne play at the ensemble. Uh, and um, Alan is an incredibly, what I call a master comedy writer, very prescriptive about everything, right down to how the set should be built, how the table should be set, um, you know, most lines with adverbial comments before it, you know, aggressively, you know, um, painstakingly, she says, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, all the way through this play Absent Friends, uh, he uses uh, pause and silence at different times, and he 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 has second counts to it, a three-second pause. A five-second silence. And I always thought that a pause was – that a silence was a longer pause. Yeah? It right, seemed to yeah, make sense to yeah. me. A silence yeah. means things go quiet for a while and a pause. But what we discovered when we kind of – because I think with master playwrights, you go, well, what is it? Why is this guy so good? Why has he written 70-odd plays? So you, you give him more respect, you know what I mean? And you, you mine their material a little bit more. Uh, in a linear sense. And and what we discovered was that the pause was when the clangor or the thought was in everyone's head, just what you've described, you know what I mean? When you've set it up so everyone is thinking that, you know, and it might be someone saying something out, you know, a very wrong thing in a scene where everyone stops and has to deal with that. Whereas the silence is when everything stops and all the characters are all thinking completely different things, mm. and that's that you know that that you know that feeling of awkward car crash moment where there's just nothing happening, yeah. and then it's always broken because the thought that follows the silence is a brand new beginning. It, it's someone it's, going, "Well, shall we all have a cup of tea? Oh yeah, that's a great idea!" Blah blah blah, and yeah. off we go again. Mm. Where the audience is going, "What's going what's gonna to <laughs> yeah. happen? What's yeah. going to happen? What's going to happen?" Yeah. And then. Something happens that they completely didn't that's expect. That's right, yeah. yeah that's and so what we found go, is that yeah. at the back of a pause, the, the following thought that followed a pause generally was connected to the thought that laid out before the pause, right. whereas the, the thought that followed the silence was a completely new thought wow. uh, from, from what had gone into the silence. And that's what made us kind of crack it apart and go, ah, oh, oh, really there's a difference. So when I write a play now, I think about when is a silence and when is a pause.
0: Yeah, interesting. Not well, that I write back, plays, just but Just backtracking, I mean? Dave. For you, did, was you were you similar to to Darren in in terms of your early beginnings as a? You had just hearing you talk about your background, going to an all boys school and yeah. and, and uh, using a sporting school and an academic yeah, school, yeah. very similar to you, yeah. and using yeah. comedy as a as a way to, you know, connect and yeah. and and uh you know avoid being the victim of 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 yeah yeah that, and that-
3: uh, and you know if you want to go deeper and you know I'm a middle child so I had an older brother who is very who's in the army now and is very responsible my father was in the army so he was very you know big disciplinarian and and my mother's not particularly my mother's very straight i would say um but also then i had a little sister who got all the love and attention. And so I was screaming for attention, like, hmm. you know, look at me, look at me kind of thing as well as that. So, but, um, my first time, to, like I knew in, I remember in year four we had a talent uh, show at the school and I was obsessed with Bill Cosby. Um, Controversial. On many <laughs> levels. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember... How, how old were you? I was nine oh. and I was at school in Papua New Guinea and um, I went to school and I was going to do this Bill Cosby routine and uh, at the talent show and <laughs> I felt like I needed, some, you know, I needed to have a costume and my dad um, had a pith helmet <laughs> and so... <laughs> And I don't know why, but I just thought a pith helmet would be... And looking back, it's horrible. You know, in sort of school in Papua New Guinea, with all these black kids, I'm wearing this, you know, sign of colonial oppression on my head while I'm doing a Bill Cosby routine about pooping the dog. Oh, wow. And, um, <laughs> but what were you saying about riding the edge? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's on the edge. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, looking back, it's, it's, it's um, you know, whatever. But I actually... <laughs> I turned up to school, and the talent show had been the day before that I'd taken off to practice. I took the day off school to practice my routine, <laughs> and then turned up to school with <laughs> this Kip helmet on and, okay, and this. Costume did you still do the routine? And this costume and, no, 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 uh, they didn't. Oh, no, maybe they, I, I think they did in the end. I think they did let me do my routine. Uh, for the club, I can't remember uh, how it went, but um, but I did. Uh, uh, but it was very early on. I was like. And for me, I also wanted to be a rock star. You know, I wanted to be I wanted to play music. I wanted to be an actor, and I wanted to do stand up. And for me, they all kind of blend in into one. And so, mm. one of my apart from uh, Eddie Murphy and um, Robin Williams and Jim Carrey, uh, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey yeah. as well. But um, Wayne's World was was huge for me because it had mixed metal and and you know heavy metal and, and comedy. But the Doug Anthony All Stars, yeah were just mm. my idols absolutely idolized everything they did like they the way they blended music and 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 comedy um was hugely influential and then lay woodley after that um who also used and so it was you know it was land on woodley and scared li- scared with little guys who and it was all these duos and trios that that tripod you know that i was really drawn to and so when i first started comedy i started with with our mutual friend, Parko, mm. um, mm. Parkinson, we started as a double act and, and that's all I wanted to, to do. Scottish uh, rap. Hey, the Scottish, the rap. Scottish rap. When yeah, we went on, Hey, Hey, it's Saturday and we won it by, you know, we flogged them. we got a s- red Simon's gave us a seven, which was, was huge for us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it started out very early for me, but, um, uh, going back to something you were talking about before as well, Daz, in, when you're talking about that straight man, funny man kind of thing. Um, when I went to Japan, um, I lived in Japan for five years and I, I picked up the language and I, um, uh, so in, and, and I ended up doing Japanese comedy. So Japanese comedy, Japanese stand-up comedy is um, called Manzai and it's 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 a double act and you have a tsukomi and a boke and a tsukomi is um is a verb as well as a noun um and and tsukomi a tsukomi is the straight guy and boke is the is the is the funny guy right and so uh, he the tsukomi is 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 he is a tsukomi but he uses Tsukomi. And Tsukomi mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. when the dumb guy says something stupid and you, you can't see this, but they slap him. They, they kind of give him a tap, um, you know, slap him around the head and go, and, and they say, which means, why did you do that? Or what the fuck are you doing? Kind of mm-hmm. um, among other things. But to give you that example, and so when I first saw Manzai, Talking about rhythms and, and feelings and stuff. I was just captivated by it. I was always on, on the telly and, and I was just loved the idea of these two these two guys, you know, or girls or whatever on stage. Um, you know, and I couldn't understand the language at that time, but I could understand their feelings. Their relationship and yeah. their relationship yeah. and the timing mm. and the and and the pauses and the mm. and the and you know all of that kind of stuff and and it was amazing and gave me real like uh, kind of uh, appreciation of of the fact that because a lot of people talk about like different senses of humor like, and people ask me all the time you know oh what are the Japanese what's the Japanese sense of humor it's like this is all the same mm. like sense of humor is like people talk about American humor versus British humor. And I'm always like, yeah, British humour is really varied. Mm. You've got Benny Hill on one end and you've got, you know, Rowan Atkinson, you know, and and Ricky Gervais, but you also have Mrs. Brown's Daughters and, you mm. know, there's, there's all sorts of different types of, mm. of Pantone, British comedy. And all which is, is yeah, same with American comedy. You've got yeah. Seinfeld, but you've also got um, Jackass and you've got, mm. you know, um, really sophisticated you know, stuff, and, and not so sophisticated stuff, but what changes is
1: references. Mm. It's the same, you know, Japanese comedy. Yeah, individuals, um, environmental factors. But yeah, yeah I agree. Like, humour seems to be... Um, Humor's my pretty my daughter was funny at six months of age, right. you know, and I know I'm biased, but I saw it in her. She was all about the gags. Yeah. And there is a lineage in my family of funny women. My right. grandmother was funny, my mum's funny, right. and she's funny. Yeah. And uh fascinated me. I'm like, where does that come from that this little blobby human is looking back at me trying to make me laugh like that's amazing yeah Yeah. and babies are great like that when you Mm -hmm.
3: make a baby laugh Mm -hmm. you know it's the simplest it's the tension and
1: boom
3: yeah and they and and you can see them reveling in that tension you know
0: they know Mm -hmm. what's Mm -hmm. coming Mm -hmm. um do you do you guys think um i was reflecting on this you know in preparation for our chat today and, and I, I wondered about whether whether you felt that comedy or making people laugh and, and you almost sort of said something very similar earlier, Darren, about connectedness, about there's a connection with the audience and that satisfaction that the audience gets when they they feel satisfied by a punchline or a moment. That that there is some very deep philosophical function that comedy plays in connecting us in our shared humanity completely and in terms of like yeah. our survival like if we're existing in in small tribes if we're going back to our the beginning of our existence that one of the essential things is you want someone in the in the tribe who's who's a fucking good hunter okay mm-hmm. you can get food and you want someone who's very good at nurturing and taking care and you probably wanted someone who was going to keep morale up and right. make people mm-hmm. laugh and feel connected and feel well, like we're in it. Well, probably the together.
2: other 98% of the tribe, uh, you know, that person. I mean, you know, there's only a few people that can be that, that wonderful athlete or that, you know, that, that extraordinary person. Yeah. And we live in a society where those kind of people are idolised. But the great many of us are... Uh, uh comic characters at heart and that is Mm -hmm. you know vulnerable and flawed we don't know what the hell we're doing or where we're going we're we're full of broken and i think the comedy allows people to go oh yeah 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 i'm just like that I, i i'm i i don't know direction you know i i don't know i'm really bad at that as well you know i'm really terrible at picking up girls i'm really terrible at getting a job i'm you know, I think that's the majority of people out there. And yes. it unites
0: yeah. us. When we laugh, when, mm. you, when you laugh, mm. particularly laugh in a it. group, and I heard um, at Blind Boy talking about this, and he said he did some gigs uh, in, in Ireland recently, uh, or post-COVID, and there was so, – with a socially distanced audience, and he was saying it was really fucking weird because there was no contagion in the laughter. Yeah. like, oh, And so big. I was doing gigs <clears throat> and, and yeah. people were spread out all small capacity and – and there's something thing about us sharing laughter together, and how that connects us. And mm. and I know traveling, like we, yeah. we one of the funniest uh, performances or theater shows I've ever seen was in Norway, mm. and we didn't understand. I, you know, I knew I could understand a little bit of it, but it was it was completely absurd and mm. completely hilarious. Mm. Um, it's
1: got and, a physical oh. physical comedy scene where he's trying to move a chair, but again, it was that clown logic of how he was trying to move the chair and, and all his different tactics and how long he could keep that going for. Mm. Um, but he had the audience just in hysterics, you know, and it just went on and on and on. But yeah, it, it, it transcends yeah. Um, language. Yeah,
0: and united us. Everyone in that theatre was united no matter mm. where you were. We come mm. from the other side of the world and we're sitting there united with a bunch of strangers laughing our asses off. And uh, do, do you do you feel like there's something deeply kind of like important about the it's also a great
2: yeah i think absolutely i mean the, the, the you know the 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 comic masks of you know comedy and tragedy um you know the greek masks the oldest form of theatre that we have sit side by side you know they're the yin and the yang they mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately comedy gets a a bit of a bad rap as somehow rather it's a cheaper art form, but I believe it's a much more sophisticated and complex art form. If you look at all the styles of comedy that mm. exist, from commedia dell'arte through panto, fast melodrama, you know, absurd, you stand know, up. stand up, you know, character-based yeah. stuff, musical yeah. comedy, and political comedy, it's satire, ability to cut parody, through, yeah. you know, to and say things
1: that might get might at times in history have gotten you killed. Yeah, you know, and yeah. masking that in humour.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and I think there is, um, there's also something endorphic about it. You know, when we laugh, it releases endorphins 100%. into our mind. It makes yeah. us feel good. It's actually good for the soul. It makes the heart beat, You know, it's something we we all sit there when we're when we're in this crazy world where we're continuously reminded of the blood and fucking horror and COVID around us we all sit there just thinking, fuck,
1: I just want to have a
2: good old-fashioned laugh at something. And you know, and our go-to is to kind of switch on some streaming platforms and just try to hunt down that, 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 that thing that makes us feel okay within the maelstrom of, like, of our daily existence. You know? I think that's
1: good for people to hear because I think, I mean, I think a lot of sort of, you know, average consumers out there probably assume that comedians and comic actors are just funny people. They just can get up and be funny, but most... Comic actors and comedians I know are actually deeply reflective philosophical people can be funny but are often very serious um, and flawed and yeah. flawed yeah. and and Troubled. but how Troubled. much <laughs> but how much thought and analysis you know and and how much deep meaning in what they do it's a real it's real crafts personship in it and it's it's tyro walking like you say you get a heart you get a you deliver something a uh, uh, half a second early or late it doesn't land um, you know, and I think there's there's so much more that goes into what you guys do than hmm. a lot of people realize.
3: Yeah, and it's it people also, um, they really they really take it personally if they find something unfunny. People are really,
2: Well, this day and
1: age, particularly, oh,
3: you know, yeah. there's So much to think
1: about that yeah. debate. Debate. You get people like Jerry Seinfeld and and Dave Chappelle saying, you know. You should be able to say anything as long as it's, it's a, a joke. joke. Yeah. It, Ricky Gervais does the he, same in yeah. his
2: animals routine. You know, yeah. talking about, um, you know, some making a cancer referral and some woman with a kid saying, you know, you can't joke about cancer. Um, I think that we, I think we're in a really interesting time for comedy. I think comedy now these days is really sophisticated. I think it's equal parts poignant. Uh, um, political, uh, uh, outrageously ridiculous and silly mm. all, all together. We have shows now, um, comedy shows like Ricky Gervais' Afterlife or Jim Carrey's Just Kidding or Fleabag, you know, that, that are based on mental illness and deaths and loss or the Kaminsky um, effect, you know, which is about two. you know, death, just, you know, being at the doors of death. You know, that like the, the, the places that it stems from now are really dark areas and then you surround that with a massive of social change that's happened over the last 10 years with the Me Too movement and the you know, gay marriage and transgender issues and, you know, gender uh, you know, referral and Black Lives Matter. There's <laughs> so, the so many so many mm-hmm. issues around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and So in a, in a way, and then add that, cancel, cancel culture, which, you mm-hmm. know, because of the internet and, of course, and socials, how, how people can lose, you know, their, their whole career overnight. Yeah. But I also think that there's something beautiful about it because it is so dangerous. It is so edgy. And so when J- Dave Chappelle stepped forward and did that comedy special, um, it's dangerous, and people try to get it pulled off Netflix. It didn't get pulled off because it legitimately had a place. You know, there was there was something he was he was saying something, um, and I think when it comes to offence. I think if you are offended by something that's cool. It just means you have a point of view and you understand your point of view based on your morality or you know your conditioning and that's cool, but your point of view isn't necessarily the greater point of view. There's a lot of complexity out there amongst mm. human feeling and experience based on what we've been through. And that's what we have to keep reminding ourselves that 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 um if if a if 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 you are offended when did the word offence mean you can't do it or can't say it anymore? The word offence is just a feeling, like laughter. And an it's ins- just another word. It's something you take. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's something, something that you go, you go through. If you're offended by something, it doesn't mean that nothing's the gonna, fucking world's going to crash down yeah, around you. Yeah,
3: yeah. Your, your leg, your limbs don't fall off. Well,
1: and like <laughs> you say, so that it's so it's so layered and and I guess people need to be able to see through certain layers to get to the heart of what the person is about. Like Dave Chappelle in that special, labelling Mm. himself as transphobic. He can say that because he knows he's not transphobic. Mm. He's just labelling himself the way that he Mm. thinks people are going to label him, and that in itself becomes the running joke. Mm. Yeah, 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 and you know how I'm transphobic.
0: Mm. Mm. He's trying to beat them to... He was thinking of all the criticism that he's going to potentially get, and beating yeah. them to the punch and going, you're all going to say this about yeah. me, so I might as well say it about myself first. Which mm. disarms a lot of totally. what he's saying. But I agree with you, Darren. There's no, I mean, it's just a feeling. It's just mm. an emotion. And, mm. and I, I've i never understood why, because I think, you know, with what we do, with the with making, being storytellers and making theatre, is we are deliberately provocative. We're mm. trying to provoke all kinds of emotions. We're mm. trying to provoke uh, empathy. We're trying to provoke deep reflection we're trying to uh, sadness. Pro- provoke sadness mm. happiness mm. joy all of the things that's that's the job of of us as storytellers is to is to tell a story that makes you feel a whole range of things not just one thing mm. and if along the course of the action is you get offended by something that shouldn't be a reason to then write off the entire thing you're like mm. that moment made me feel awkward or uncomfortable okay why Maybe. Was that intentional? Was it meant to make you feel uncomfortable or deliberate? And so I think it comes down to the intention behind it. You know, if the intention, I know in our case, we will craft certain things to go, this might be, might jar people, but we want it to jar people because we want them to then think deeper into why or well, we want, what are we they want, trying to achieve with that, We want, you
1: know. Yeah, we want to inspire like a productive outrage rather than offence, mm. but yeah. sometimes that that can go the wrong way. I I also...
3: The the point I was was trying to make is necessarily about outrage. Or, well, isn't necessarily about offence. Because I remember when Elegant Gentleman's Guide um, came out and even... And every comedy that I've done, you go to... And Twitter was brand new then. And I got in trouble from ABC because some fuckwit had said, oh, this is shit. And a lot of the comments were... This is shit. This isn't funny. Um, why are my why tax dollars being w- spent on this on this bullshit. You know? This is and it wasn't an offense. That they, they were offended that they didn't laugh. That's what I mean. Like mm. like people take when you try and make someone laugh and they don't laugh, they take Yeah. Yeah. They take it personally. It's like <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's uh, such a weird thing. Uh, it's that,
0: like when you say, tell someone you're a vegetarian and they go, "What?" Yeah. The, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, how yeah. is my choice to be a vegetarian? of any consequence to you yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. But they get really offended yeah. my mm-hmm. whole yeah. life. Well, they've just, yeah.
2: just invited you over dinner and cooked you a fucking really expensive porterhouse. Then well, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd probably eat it in that situation because it'd be rude. You know, what kind of vegetarian yeah. are you then?
0: <laughs> you know, the, the,
2: the, the, the word comedy comes from uh, this, in uh, my research of you know, comedy st- studies, I, I discovered the, the earliest form of comedy, or the idea of comedy is uh, the, the commerce festival the commerce festival was a part ritualistic religious festival and part massively drunken affair where people would sacrifice sheep to their gods. And then they'd cut the guts out of the sheep and they'd get all the blood, shit and offal, tuck it back inside the, the gut of the sheep, uh, sew them up and then tie these big balls of blood, shit and offal, uh, stretched skin bags uh, to their Chests like big boobs and phalluses and penises, they'd get really drunk and then charge each other in the town square and smash into each other repeatedly until these skin bags would burst and they'd get covered in blood and shit. Wow. And that, 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 it's like the sumo wrestler suits. But right. that, that, that part. What are you guys doing tonight? Yeah, um, that part ritualistic <laughs> kind of fervour meeting this anarchy you know what i mean and for ah. me like uh, the commus is all is and it's used in various forms of comedy the bubble it's sort of the inside is the anarchy of life the outside the skin the thing that's holding it all together is society's expectations is taboo is all the things you shouldn't do but you can't help that heartbeat on the inside it's going to try to find a way out of that burst skin bag you know and that, 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 that once again there's the tension you know that, that we so, play within comedy
1: where do you guys see? Because obviously there are there are timeless principles of comedy, but it has evolved a lot over the years. From from you know bags of awful to mm-hmm. uh, to now, where we see like how meme culture has affected humor, like uh, with the whole Adult Swim generation, uh, Rick and Morty. You know, where comedy they call it surrealist comedy, which is a lot looks a lot like absurdism. I would mm, say, mm. but it's it's very. Um, it's very random associations, random happenings, and almost the joke can be that there is no joke. It's just unexpected, and you know, suddenly a donut pops in and says, "Hey!" and you know, that's funny, and <laughs> um or Vine, uh, Vine, you know, you know, these vines which were like a few second kind of video oh, yeah, clips, yeah, yeah, and people yes. would make Vine compil- compilations of mm. just people saying random things, and mm. and mm. that became that's become funny. Mm. Um, where, where, like, where would you, where do you see comedy in in twenty years, kind of going, um, or is that something that you, you sort of go? It's impossible to, pre- to predict at this point with the way you know technology might evolve and so forth.
2: I don't know. Hmm. I, don't know. I, I guess uh, it, it, it is impossible to predict where the technology is going to go, particularly with the, the bloody metaverse kind of an outdoor step. You think, step the, you think or,
1: the mediums you know, of delivery will have a lot to do with it I think maybe yeah oh, I think so I still think,
2: think at heart back, though it comes back to comes back that to you feelings, can't yeah. you know it comes back to human, human, common humanity and feelings mm. and and even if the joke in 20 years time is once again trying to relate to this fucking crazy world around us that's never changed you know it'll still be
1: funny
3: yeah, but, yeah. and and the, the, speaking to like the random stuff like Sam Simmons I remember had a bit where he would he w- would walk out on stage with a vionetta and would just like slice up the Bayonetta and, and anybody for a slice of Bayonetta and it was hilarious because it, it was so random <laughs> but but what makes it it's just thinking about what you're saying just then you know um, is that it's it, the reason that's funny is that it's breaking the conventions of stand-up comedy you expect a stand-up comedian to mm. come out and tell jokes mm. you don't expect a stand-up comedian to come out and hand out slices of fucking shit or, or, uh,
1: or old mate Gallagher <laughs> smashing fruit with a hammer yeah. It's just so it, ridiculous.
3: It's so yeah. ridiculous and And, and, and but
0: that's so niche too. Like it's it's a retro thing. A Viennetto is so retro. Yeah. It's also it's unexpected. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. completely unexpected. Yeah. And And it, it
3: breaks the it breaks society's conventions yeah. of what is supposed to be happening. So it's
0: know. a surprise,
2: isn't it? Like yeah, comedy's yeah. always gotta have at its heart surprise. Yeah. You know, if they see it coming. Then it's not going to be funny. Is
3: well, it? But except for when you want them to see it coming. Yes, you know. So yes. yeah, that, but but which again is just every every rule that you think you have about comedy, there's, there's something to there's be broken. There's another rule yeah. that, that that breaks that.
2: Mm-hmm. But but you know we've got the goons and Python to thank for the whole world of absurdity, haven't we? Yeah, and that's that's when. But then surely they can... broke a really conservative kind of English way of doing very kind of stand up and fire kind of comedy. And then yeah. that's when it got whacked. When but we
3: also thing. don't know what they were seeing on, on Boardville, you know, mm. to a, to a mm. degree, you know, we don't like, yeah, like, obviously they, they had to have, it had to have come from somewhere. Mm. And, you know, cause all art is
2: derivative. and yeah. So, um, I think it was really, really the goons. They, they,
3: mm. they
1: were there,
2: you know, Seekham and, um, um, Peter Sellers, and yeah. you know they, they were.
0: And but, that, uh, but I think to your point, you're saying they must have been influenced by something to something come up with of, that, yes, and, and, and yeah. so on yeah. and so forth, and yeah. yeah, yeah, the evolution of right back to the mm. bags of offal to now, everyone's yeah. been inspired by something. Everything
2: to, is derivative, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the great thing is with comedy now is we have so much to draw on, mm. you know, and when when you are writing it or or acting in a or performing in it you have so many styles you can you can pull on mm. you know you, you can kind of decide to kind of position something in a physical comedy world or comedia world or you can move it into melodrama where it's all about heightened feelings or you know it can be about absurdity and yeah, yeah and that it's can kind come great. across in memes and yeah. in a
3: vine and in a short you know like you know tiktok
0: yeah. videos, whatever yeah, yeah. um so the form just changes. The, the form changes, hmm, but you know. at
3: heart, it's always you know, it's 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 pain, vulnerability, you know, surprise, you know, even and and then you know, even then when you're talking about intellectual comedy and, and satire and John Stewart and and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, it's it, the and again or Japanese comedy that, or Norwegian comedy, you know, it's all it's, it 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 does as, as as Darren said, it comes back to that, you know, shared humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that might be a nice place to wrap things up with a uh, that sentiment, David. Cool. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much. It's just fascinating to hear you both talk about like your processes, and I think it's um, uh, like having known you both for a long time and 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 seeing you and been admirers of your work. It's like just to I, I learned a lot just listening to you talk about why you do what you do and how you think about your work and your profession and um I, i'm i'm sure anyone listening to this is going to get a lot out of that yeah, as it's well it's a
1: beautiful it's gift to give the world and, and when we're in the apocalypse we need to keep the hunter the builder <laughs> and the comedian yes in the <laughs> yes, tribe right. everyone every tribe needs one yeah. at least one come on
2: guys it's not that bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice.
1: thanks lads thanks thanks guys, guys. Thanks, guys.